Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. I'm going to start with a uh, little joke. It's an oldie but goodie. It's a Christmas joke. If you heard it before, just pretend it's your first time and laugh. It'll make me feel good, all right? So here it goes. Little boy wants a bike for Christmas really badly, but... He's a bad kid and he knows it. He's self-aware, knows he hasn't been good. So instead of writing a letter to Santa Claus, he decides, I'm gonna write a letter to Jesus. So he starts off his letter. Dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I'll be good for a whole week. Thinks about it for a minute, crosses, crosses that out, writes five days. <laughs> Thinks about that, crosses that out, writes four. He gets all the way down to one day, and he thinks, I can't even be good for a day. So crumples up the letter and throws it down and frustrated and desperate, he goes outside, starts walking around his neighborhood. He sees a nativity scene in his neighbor's yard and goes up to the Virgin Mary, looks around, grabs a Virgin Mary, puts it under his arm, walks to his house, wraps it in a blanket, puts it in a bag, throws the Virgin Mary in his closet starts his letter over again. Dear Jesus, if I don't get a bike for Christmas, you'll never see your mother again. <laughs> this, is, this is a true story, what I'm gonna tell you right now. I won't say who it is, but there's a guy that I know who has had baby Jesus stolen twice from his nativity scene. And so he called the company, he ordered several more baby Jesuses, and then now he takes his baby Jesus and he zip ties it to the manger so nobody can steal it, which I think is just super funny. Last weekend was our kids' Christmas show, Manger Tales. How many of you guys were here for that? Wasn't that amazing? I think it was the best kids' Christmas show we've ever done. And uh, one of my favorite moments from this past year, well, we also started our Christmas series at the 8.30 and the 10 o'clock service, which you, you probably didn't hear. Uh, uh, and we're calling the series The Gift, as you just saw in the video. In fact, my brother, Pastor Josh, preached a great message that he called New Old Traditions. And so if you missed it, you ought to go back and watch it. This series, by the way, is gonna culminate with our Christmas Eve services. We'll talk more about that before we close. And you know, Christmas Eve is one of those times, kind of like Easter, that you can invite and bring people to church. You might be having family or friends over on Christmas Eve, and you kind of make it part of your celebration that you go to church. And uh, maybe surprise them, maybe force them against their will, I don't know, but <laughs> invite and bring somebody with you to Christmas Eve. Be thinking and praying about who you can invite. We're praying that, that many people are gonna come to the Lord that night. It'll be great services, actually that afternoon, really. 12, 2, and 4 o'clock are the service times. Our series is based on the gifts that the Magi or wise men gave to the child Jesus. So if you have your Bible, would you open with me to Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2. In fact, why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet? Let's stand up and read this passage of Scripture together. You can follow along uh, on the screen if you want. If you're able to stand up, go ahead and do that. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he 
who has been born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Skip down to verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child, notice that phrase, the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down. And what does it say, church? Fell down and what? And worshiped him. Let's read this next sentence together. Ready, go. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Speak to us. Touch us today. The power of your Holy Spirit, the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you sit down, look at somebody next to you and say, you know what? It's not politically correct to say Merry Christmas anymore, so I'm gonna start saying Happy Jesus Birthday. Come on, tell somebody. Tell somebody. I don't wanna offend anybody, so I'm not gonna say Merry Christmas, just Happy Jesus Birthday. <laughs> Traditionally, when we think about the, uh, the nativity scene, and probably all of us or most of us have them at our house, we think about how many wise men? Come on, it's not your question three, right? Scripture doesn't tell us how many there are, but traditionally we, we have three. Maybe it's because there were, there were three gifts, but there could have been more. We also picture Jesus as a newborn baby or as an infant. But as we just read in this passage, by the time the wise men get there, Jesus was a young child. In fact, most scholars think that Jesus was at least one year old, maybe 18 months, maybe even up to two years old. In fact, if you read the passage on your own, Matthew 2, you'll, you can kind of gather that and see why. So if you want to have a more biblically accurate nativity scene, go home, take your wise men, put them either outside your house or on the other side of your house, and then next year at Christmas time, move them a little bit closer. <laughs> and by the way, since Jesus, the young child Jesus, was at least a year old, maybe two years old, rather than the wise men bowing down and worshiping a baby, picture them bowed, bowing down and worshiping a toddler. Anybody have a two-year-old? Anybody, or, you know, grandparents that you have, you've been around two years old, a two-year-old before. How many of you know you do not negotiate with two-year-old terrorists? <laughs> You ever seen a, a two-year-old throw a temper tantrum like in Target or something? It's like the parents, poor parents, maybe it's happened to you. You're just doing anything and everything you can. They're like, you know, here, have my phone, have some candy, have the keys to my car, have a pony, just stop freaking out, you know? That's how two-year-olds are. But these, these wise men who had probably traveled an unbelievable distance had a revelation from God that this was no ordinary child. And so they presented him with unusual gifts. You think about today in our culture, you're gonna give a one-year-old or maybe a two-year-old gifts. You're probably gonna give them, you know, parents anyways, you'd give them diapers. <laughs> you would give them maybe a, a stroller. Maybe you'd give them a onesie with a football on it. Maybe you'd give them a snot sucker, which is good to use when they're, when they're a baby. But they gave him, the child, gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. 2,000 years ago in the culture, not only were these gifts uh, very useful and incredibly valuable, and by the way, Mary and Joseph did not have a lot of money. They were very poor. But they were also spiritual and prophetic. In other words, there was a recognition and a foreshadowing of who Jesus was and what he would accomplish. And so that's what we're focusing on in this series called The Gift. That's really what it's all about, is what these gifts teach us about Jesus. As I mentioned last week, we started this series, and so my brother, Pastor Josh, preached on frankincense. I don't know what you know about frankincense, but if you're, if you're a guy, you probably think of essential oils, right? Like you're sick, you have a cold, your wife goes and gets the frankincense and then rubs them on your feet or something. I don't know, essential oils don't make any, don't make any sense to me. But frankincense back then, 2,000 years ago, it was an oil that the priests would use to, to worship and minister to the Lord. And what frankincense symbolized, what the gift symbolized, is the fact that Jesus is our high priest. I don't have time, my message isn't about it today, to unpack that. You can read the book of Hebrews if you want, which in great detail explains Jesus as our high priest. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. What a great truth that is, men and women. You know that Jesus understands your weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So that's frankincense. Next weekend, we'll talk about gold. Gold represents the kingship of Jesus, the fact that he is the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. Today, I wanna talk to you about what myrrh represents. Myrrh, <clears throat> myrrh was a valuable gum-like substance. It's mentioned 17 times in the Bible, including this uh, passage that we just read. What's interesting and what's important is that myrrh is mentioned two other times in relation and connection to Jesus. Myrrh back then, 2,000 years ago, was occasionally used as an anesthetic to help numb pain. Victims that were to be executed, customarily received wine that was drugged with myrrh in order to, to dull or numb their senses. In fact, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when he was dying on the cross, they offered him myrrh. Mark chapter 15, verse 23, it says, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Myrrh was most commonly used back then as an ingredient to embalm the dead. And so after Jesus had died and they took his body down from the cross, it says in John chapter 19, verse 39, Nicodemus, if you wanna read more about Nicodemus, go back and read John chapter three, by the way. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, listen, bringing a mixture of what does it say? Of myrrh, of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds. The reason, and here's, this is where we're going for the rest of the message. The reason that the wise men gave the young child Jesus myrrh was to represent the truth that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world and he is the suffering servant. He was the one 
that God had promised to take all of our pain and to die in our place. And the title of my message today is His Pain, Our Gain. His Pain, Our Gain. Any football fans in here, come on, raise your hand or give me a good grunt or something, right, football fans? So we're getting now towards the end of the NFL season. Oh, Junior's a Cowboys fan. I like the Rams. I know Mark's a 49ers fan. Pray for him. He, he needs to get saved. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so, you know, we're kind of towards the end of the football season now. It's becoming, the picture's becoming a little bit more clear. But imagine that, that I could right now tell you the two teams that are going to be in the Super Bowl this year in February and who's going to win and predict the exact score. That would be probably fairly, fairly impressive. I asked my brother, because Josh follows football more, more than I do. Here's my brother Josh's Super Bowl prediction. Bucks versus the Bills, who are actually playing today. They might be playing right now. Josh called it a Super Bowl preview, Junior. And he picked the Bucks beating the Bills 31 to 27. Now let's all hope that doesn't happen because nobody wants to see Tom Brady win an 83rd Super Bowl, right? <laughs> now imagine that Imagine that the world is still here 700 years from now, that Jesus hasn't come back, but 700 near, years from now into the future, football is still being played in some expression, and I could predict the two teams that were going to be in the Super Bowl and the exact score, come on, that would make me a prophet like no other, right? That gives you a little bit of a sense and a picture into what Isaiah the prophet did through the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter 53. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied in unbelievable detail what the Christ, what the Messiah, whom he calls the suffering servant, what kind of pain he would endure on our behalf. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Isaiah 53. You can follow along on the screen as well. Isaiah chapter 53. You ought to go home and, and read this. Even read Isaiah 52, which the last part of that leads into Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 3. It says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our, what does it say? Come on, what does it say? He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Come on. He was bruised for our our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Somebody say amen. amen. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That word iniquity is like incredible moral perversion and crookedness. It is like extreme sin. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 11, I'll read from New Living Translation. 
when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. This passage explains in great detail the pain that Jesus suffered for you and for me. The physical pain, the mental pain, the emotional pain, and the spiritual pain. And I I wanna just take a moment and remind us, remind us of the suffering and the pain that Jesus went through for you and for me. Started in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had just had a meal. He knew it would be his last meal with his disciples. He knew what was about to happen. And he leaves and he takes three of of his disciples, his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. I've I've been there. I picture this in my mind. He takes him to the garden where Jesus often spent time with the Father. And he says, he looks his friends in the eyes. He says, men, he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Please watch and pray with me. Well, the disciples fall asleep, which has always made me feel a little bit better, by the way, because I've fallen asleep praying. But they, these guys fall asleep. Jesus goes off on his own. This, he knows this is gonna be his last moment, last kind of private moment with the Father, and he bows down before the Father, and he begins to cry out in prayer. The Bible says that he began to sweat, and his sweat became drops of blood. Hemosidrosis is the, is the medical term. It's when you're under such incredible anguish and agony that your sweat can actually become blood. Your capillaries burst, and he's crying out, praying. And he says, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, he completely surrendered. He knew what he was about to go through. He gets up from prayer, and shortly after that, almost immediately, he sees one of his other close friends, Judas, coming, followed with a battalion of of Jewish soldiers, and Judas walks up to him, betrays him with a kiss. Peter, James, and John run away. After a short conflict, they run away. They don't want to get in trouble to leave him alone. In fact, John, the apostle John, somehow his clothes got ripped off. He ran away naked. Jesus is left alone. He's arrested. He goes through a mock trial, an absolute joke of a trial, even by the standards you know, 2,000 years ago. Falsely accused, lied about. Everything that was said about him was, was unjust, unfair, untrue. But he opened not his mouth. He allowed the accusations to come because he knew what needed to be done. Sentenced, handed over to the Romans, sentenced to crucifixion, to death. When he's handed over to the Roman soldiers, Pilate basically just doesn't want anything to do with them, but he hands them over to the Roman soldiers. 
and they rip Jesus's clothes off, leave him naked, humiliated, shamed. They begin to mock him, they begin to spit on him. They go and they get it, some thorns, one and a half to two inches thick, twist it into a crown, cram it into his skull, probably get a, some sort of a club and just jam it into his head. Now he's bleeding, put a, a, a robe, a purple robe around him to, to mock him. He said, you're not a king. And then they just begin to beat him over and over and over again, punching him in the face. Roman soldiers oftentimes would wear a signet ring, be like brass knuckles, beating him again and again and again. Then they grabbed a, a whip, cat of nine tails. So on the end of the whip, it was like shards of glass. So when they would whip you, it would rip your flesh off. And they whip him again and again and again and again, just rip off his flesh. Isaiah says that he was so badly bloodied and beaten that he was disfigured. He was almost unrecognizable. It says, Isaiah says that they ripped his beard out of his face. <clears throat> and then they ask him to carry his own cross. Cross probably wasn't a full cross like we see in the movies or the shows or the pictures. It was probably more of a beam, a, a, literally the cross beam. Top part of the cross weighed about 100 pounds. He had to walk a path that was called the way of suffering, 650 yards from where he was, up to a hill called Golgotha. Jesus was so badly beaten, lost so much blood, was so weak at that point, he couldn't even carry it on his own. They had to grab somebody from the crowd to help him carry the, his own cross. He gets up to the top of the hill. They nail him to the cross. They drive as a spike, spikes of about seven inches. They would drive through your ankles. They drive through your wrists. Put the cross up and hang him there. On both sides of him are, are two criminals. The Romans used crucifixion for the most vile, wicked criminals. They, they used it as a form of humiliation to, to intimidate everybody else into not messing with them, not breaking their laws. And Jesus is hung up between two criminals. This innocent man, Paul says, the one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so here Jesus is hanging on the cross. Probably, very likely, his, his back was, had been so, so lashed that his internal organs are exposed. And here he is now hanging on the cross. And in order to just catch a breath, imagine your weight is, is pulling you down. You'd have to push yourself up. You'd have to push yourself up. So People that were on the cross, they would die sometimes from blood loss. Oftentimes they would die because of suffocation. They couldn't, they couldn't breathe. So he would, Jesus would have to push himself up against that old rugged cross that would catch a breath and then hang back down. Well, eventually your legs would give out, your shoulders would dislocate and your own body weight, you would suffocate. As he's hanging there, People come up to him, men and women, that he had created before they were formed in their mother's womb. He knew them. His own creation comes up and mocks him, spits at him, 
says, if you're really the son of God, bring yourself down from the cross and prove it to us. You know what Jesus says? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The worst part, listen, the worst part of the pain and suffering that Jesus went through, it was not the physical part. In fact, the word excruciating, it literally means out of the cross. The worst part was not the physical part. Men and women, the worst part was the spiritual pain that he endured. Because on the cross, all of the sin of all of humanity for all time, everything vile and wicked and unholy and demonic, the worst possible things that you can imagine, think that anybody said or done, all of it, all of it at one time was laid on him. The sin of all men and the wrath of God was laid on him. And, and that's why Jesus says, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in all of eternity, the first time the son was separated from the father, the intimate fellowship and relationship that Jesus had always known, had always experienced, there was a separation because that's what sin does. God in his holiness and his perfection in his righteousness cannot look upon sin, so he turned his back as Jesus took it all. And they offered him, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh to numb the pain, and he refused it. You know why? Because he wanted to bear the full weight of the pain and the suffering of our sin. He wanted to experience, he knew he had to go through all of it. And so in his final breaths, he cries out, to tell us die, it is finished. That was a word that if you were to purchase something back then, they would put it on a receipt. To tell us die, it is finished. It meant paid in full. Paid in full. And then in his very final breath, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Bible says that he breathed his last and gave up his life. Pilate heard that Jesus was dead. He was surprised that it, it was so short, probably because of all of the suffering he had already went through. And they took his body down from the cross. They embalmed his body with myrrh, and they buried him in a tomb. Unless, let's not forget, men and women, that three days later, that tomb was empty. <laughs> the tomb was empty. The reason that Jesus went through all the pain, all the suffering, is because he loves you, because he loves me. Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, the word passion, if you look up the word passion, you can look it up. One of the definitions of the word passion is the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. You realize that? Because of God's passion, because of his great love for you, he went through all of that pain, all of that suffering, because of love. The old preacher says that it was nails that put him on the cross, but it was love that kept him there. 
Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, he says, there is no greater love than this than to lay one's life down for his friends. By the way, Jesus chose, he didn't have to, he chose to lay his life down for you and for me. He, he willingly surrendered his life, the Bible says. He chose to do that. And as Isaiah 53 prophesied that he would suffer for all of us, that his pain was our gain. Jesus, number one, suffered for your sins so you can be forgiven. He is your savior. And men and women, you and I need a savior. Isaiah said that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the essence of sin. It's going your own way. And uh, Isaiah compares us to being sheep in that passage. By the way, that is not a compliment because sheep are dumb, all right? They are dumb. They're weak. They're witless. They go wayward. They get lost. They are not very smart. They're dumb animals. In fact, this is a true story. I know it's a little bit intense. You can laugh at this if you want. 2005 in Turkey, 1,500, 1,500 sheep followed each other and walked off a cliff. Wouldn't you have thought that, like, you know, by sheep 83 or 84, 85, they would have thought, hey, Will, George, Bill, where are those guys going? They're just falling off. Nobody sees them. Nope. The bad news is that four, I'm not making this up. The bad news is that the first 400 sheep died. The good news is the rest of the sheep survived because apparently the first 400 made a giant sheep pillow or something. That's the honest truth. But sheep go wayward, all of us. All of us have turned aside. We've all wandered off God's path into sin, into lust, into anger, into lying, into cheating, into greed, into adultery, into you name it. And so Jesus paid the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven, we could be cleansed, we could be brought into relationship with God. He is the good shepherd. In fact, Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, listen, gives his life for the sheep. That's what he did. Number two, Jesus suffered for your sickness so you can be healed. He is your healer. Isaiah 53, 5, he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. It's interesting when you read or when you study those words in that passage, a lot of the words that Isaiah uses or can actually be references to sickness. In fact, the word grief could also be translated sickness or disease. The word sorrows could be translated as pains. Not only did Jesus take our sin on the cross, men and women, he took our sickness as well. I know some people don't believe it, but I believe that scripture's pretty clear. Healing was provided in the atonement. There is healing in the blood of Jesus. In fact, Peter writes, one of Jesus' closest friends, he writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 Peter chapter two, he says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. A couple weeks ago, uh, uh, Pastor Judy, Pastor Junior, Cindy, I think Pastor Julie, myself, we had the, the privilege of praying for a gal in our church named Vivian. Vivian's been battling cancer for five years now. In fact, she has a, a, a mass in her abdomen on this side that's so large, the doctors don't even really know what to do, so she needs a miracle. 
So we sat down with her and talked to her. She's a really, really kind woman, loves the Lord. And we just began to pray, didn't we, Pastor Junior? And man, it was powerful, wasn't it? Felt, felt the power and the presence of God coming to that room, room four or five, just over there. In fact, when we were done, Junior was a little bit, you know, misty-eyed, a little, little teary-eyed, because, you know, Junior's a big baby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cries all the time. I never cry. I'm a rock. Uh, I'm just, no, but Junior said, it's so kind what Junior said. He said, he looked at Vivian, he says, Vivian, he said, he said, I haven't felt presence of God like that in a while. And he looked at her and says, Vivian, you're special to God. And Vivian didn't hear him at first, at least she said she didn't. And so he said again, he said, you're special to God. And she, without hesitation, said, I know I am. She said, I'm his favorite. <laughs> she wasn't joking. She was serious. I got a little bit irritated because I thought, I'm his favorite. Men and women, not, I'm not trying to be trite or, or cute. Listen, you are his favorite. That is how God is. You know, the Bible says he bottles all of your tears. He knows how many hairs are on your head. The Bible says you're the apple of his eye. That is how much God loves you. You cannot even comprehend or fathom how much God loves you. None of us can. But church, he is your healer. Listen, if you're facing diabetes right now, he is your healer. If you have heart disease, Jesus is your healer. If you have chronic back pain, Jesus is your healer. If you have COVID, Jesus is your healer. If you have, uh, are struggling with mental health, Jesus is your healer. If you have cancer, Jesus is your healer. By his stripes, you are healed. Somebody say amen. I believe it. Number three, Jesus suffered for your sorrow and grief so you can be whole. He is your comforter. I, interestingly, Lord put this passage on my heart about a week and a half, two weeks ago before I even thought about this message at all. And you know how you read something in the, in the Bible, you've read it many, many times, and then you read it again, it's like the Holy Spirit just gives you fresh revelation? I had seen these words so often, but, but for the first time in a new way, some of these phrases just jumped out to me and they ministered to me so much. He was a man of sorrow. How, how can this be? The, 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 the creator of all creation, God incarnate, when he became, when he wrapped himself in humanity, he became a man of sorrows. One translation says he was familiar with deepest grief. Not only did Jesus on the cross carry and bear your grief and your sorrows, but he experienced it for himself in his own life. He didn't have to. He didn't have to do any of these things. He chose to. Think about that. Jesus knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to be mocked. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by somebody who's one of your closest friends. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be rejected. Listen, men and women, he knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to be brokenhearted. Did you hear me? John chapter 11, Lazarus, one of his closest friends, not one of the 12, but one of his close buddies, and Mary and Martha, the sisters, Jesus shows up after Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha, if you read, they're, they're kind of angry at Jesus. Both of them come up to him and say the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, you could have healed our brother. Now he's dead. And so Jesus, 
walks out, says, where have you laid him? He walks out, Mary and Martha are weeping, they're crying. All of the friends and family are weeping, crying. They, they love this man, Lazarus. And Jesus says he, he groaned in his spirit. He, he felt the pain and suffering, the grief that they were all experiencing because he loved Lazarus too. And it says, John eleven thirty five, 35, one of the shortest verses in all the Bible, Jesus wept. That's amazing. He wept. And, and Isaiah says, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's good news for me. I've been to more funerals this year and officiated more funerals than any year ever, Junior. Junior and I have together officiated two, two of our friends in the last month. Pastor Junior's lost several family members. Pastor Judy's lost close family members. Lost my dad this year. This passage means something to me in a different kind of way now. There's been times where I've been walking like, I'm talking about literally walking, walking my dog, Winston. And I feel like, I, I literally feel, I don't know if you felt like this, I feel like I can't even take, I can't even take another step. I, I, it's like all the strength and energy just leaves my body. I'm just overwhelmed by grief. He understands, men and women. He knows. <clears throat> In the picture, I, get is when you know when Jesus was carrying that cross he was so physically weak and exhausted he couldn't even do it on his own somebody else came alongside him helped him carry the cross you know what the lord does that with us I feel like i god i can't take another step i can't bear this grief this pain anymore comes right alongside you he, he helps he helps to carry that jesus said in matthew chapter 5 verse 4 he said god blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Psalm verse <clears throat> chapter 34 verse 17 says the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose whose spirits are crushed. Not only does Jesus heal our bodies, he heals our broken hearts. He blesses us with his comfort. He blesses us with his presence. He blesses us with his love. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I know that many of you are, are in a season of grief right now. You're in a season of pain and suffering. We talk to people all the time. I know a lot of you have lost loved ones this year, and, and I'm not trying to in any way compare my pain to yours. I know that some of you are in pain. I'm just letting you know, even if you feel, it might feel to you like God is a million miles away. Church, he isn't. He's right here. He's carrying that burden with you. He's carrying your grief, your pain, your sorrow with you. Don't turn away from him. Turn, lean into him, turn to him. He was a man of sorrows, 
familiar with deep, deepest grief and suffering. He knows. He'll see you through. He's going to help you. I want you to grab your communion right now, if you would. We're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to just take a moment, and, and uh, I'm going to kind of quickly touch on each of the three things that we talked about, sin, sickness, and grief. Open up the, the top portion, if you would, and take out that little wafer. In fact, if you're watching online, you're going to want to go get some bread or a cracker. Go ahead and just snap it in your hand, break it. This represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for you. Jesus said, I, in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. He who eats of, of me, of my flesh, will never hunger again. Let's pray, Jesus, we love you, we honor you. We thank you that you were a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, grief, pain. We thank you that you were broken so we could be made whole. We thank you for your presence here today, right now in this place. We love you. We receive this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the bread. Just hold the cup. Don't open it, but just hold it. Maybe you're here today, you're watching online, and uh, you're not in relationship with the Lord. I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm asking if you actually know the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Everything he went through that I just explained to you, all the pain, all the suffering, the cross, it was all for you. It was all for you. It was to pay the price for your sin and my sin. I'm, I'm just like you. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. So he paid it all. He paid it all. The cross is the bridge between you and God. It's the only way. And Jesus offered himself. He gave up his life for you. He offered abundant and eternal life. But you have to make that decision. You have to make that choice. Nobody else can make that decision for you. Your spouse can't. Your grandma can't. You have to make that decision, men and women. You have to choose to receive him by faith as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today, you've never made that decision before, or you need to come back to the Lord. You prayed a prayer and you walked away like a sheep. You've gone astray. You need to come back to him. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Today's the day of salvation. See a hand up over there already. On the count of three, no, you don't need to close your eyes right now. Just keep your eyes open. But if that's you, raise your hand, hold it up. Jesus says that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If that's you, on the count of three, say, John, I need to be in relationship with God today. I need to come, come to the Lord. Just lift your hand. One, two, three. Hold your hand, hold it up wherever you are. Let me see you. I see you, I see you, I see you. Thank you so much. Three people, I see you in the back four. Awesome. Anybody else here today? Praise the Lord for that. So awesome. Four people responding, maybe some online. Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's so good. I want to lead all of us in a prayer of salvation, confession, and in support of those four who just raised their hand. This is especially for them, but let's all, this, all of us pray this prayer out loud, a phrase at a time. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all of my sin. Right now I surrender my life to you. 
come into my life. Make me a new person. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And I declare that heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The four of you who raised your hand and only the four of you, I want you right now, nobody else do this, but the four of you, I want you to open up and take the cup, receiving the blood of Jesus right now. So you guys can do that. If you're here today and you need healing in your physical body, you need a touch from the Lord today, physical healing, I want you to stand to your feet right now, wherever you're at. If you're online at home, you can let our online team know. If you need healing in your body, stand up. I wanna pray for you right now. Stand up, wherever you are. If you see somebody around you, church, I want you to, if you're near them, lay your hands on them. Stretch your hands towards somebody. Come on, whatever it is, it might be, might be seemingly small, it might be something big. Let's pray right now. Let's ask the healing power of Jesus to come. Lord Jesus, we come in the authority of your name, in the power of your blood, that by your stripes, we are healed. Jesus, I pray that every person in this place right now, those watching online, I pray that your healing power would come upon them and touch them right now. Let your love, your healing touch flood them. Heal Emmanuel's knee in Jesus' name. We command cancer, tumors to leave, disappear from bodies right now. We command heart disease to leave right now in Jesus' name. Chronic back pain to leave in the name of Jesus. We speak health, we speak wholeness, we speak healing. We thank you that there is healing in the blood. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated if, if you just got prayed for for physical healing. I want you to open up the cup now and receive the blood of Jesus. And one more group, if, if you are in a season of grief and, and suffering, and you're asking the Lord to heal your broken heart, then I want you to stand up, and I'm standing up too. I'm gonna have, maybe Jenny can come up and pray for me, but if, if that's you, stand up right now, church. Stand up, and if you see somebody around you, again, I want you to go over to them and lay hands on them. I know some of the situations right now. I know what some of you are going through. Come on, let church, let's pray. I'm inviting you to pray. I'll lead in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you heal the brokenhearted. You are the great comforter. Lord, sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's a, a journey, but you don't leave us alone. You walk through every season. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us. We will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Thank you, Lord. You're the good shepherd pray for my brothers and sisters, for myself today, standing here today. God, you know what's going on. You know the pain. You know the grief that they're dealing with. Bring healing. Bring hope. Bring peace. Bring joy through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as only you can, let something supernatural in this moment even take place right now, Jesus. Take, I pray that you would take away any bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. We release that to you, Lord. Bring wholeness in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. You are with us in Jesus' name. 
I want everybody just to stand to your feet. Stay standing if you're standing and stand to your feet. The rest of us, I want you to open up the cup. Let's receive the, let's all receive the cup together for those of us who haven't yet. You can pass your cups to the right. Stay standing. Let's join Rebecca. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.